0: Start this morning. Um, we have been in this series all year long. Like I said earlier, how would we get here? The story of God redeeming His people throughout history. Uh, last week we saw the Israelites who had been in Canaan. They had been under the rule of judges for years and years and years. Finally, the Israelites looked around and they said, "We want a king. We want to be like everybody else, and we want to have a king." And God told them, "If you have a king other than me, it's going to go bad." And they said, "No." it'll be fine, we want a king. And so God gave them Saul, and Saul was the worst. He disobeyed God, he ignored God, he walked away from his faith in God, and eventually he was rejected from being king. God decided, Saul, you are no longer going to be the one who rules over my people. You are no longer going to be their leader. We're going to be spending a few Sundays um, looking at the life of David, starting today. There's only one man who has more written about him in the Bible than David, and that's Jesus. David is one of the most important and influential parts of the Bible. And so this morning, we're going to look at his calling. We're going to look at what plan God had for him and see how God had cultivated him through his life to get him ready for what God was calling him to do, to be the leader and king of God's people. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump into 1 Samuel 16. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful that we get this opportunity to come and publicly, loudly, with great joy, worship you. We don't have to hide that we can have a sign out front that says, this is a place where God's people dwell. Lord, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to to worship you. Lord, as we study David, as we study this man who you said had a heart after your own, God, I pray that we learn from him. I pray that we learn from the characteristics that you cultivated in him, but ultimately, God, I pray that we see this story for what it is, a a foreshadowing of something greater, of something better, a foreshadowing of your goodness in sending your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, let nothing come from my lips that isn't from you this morning. We lift up this time to you, and we pray in your holy Son's name. Amen. So we're going to start right at the uh, beginning of verse, uh, chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being the king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. God speaks to Samuel. Remember, Samuel was the prophet. He was the final judge and a prophet. He was the one who was anointing, who anointed Saul. He had this special deep relationship with Saul, and it was through Samuel that Saul found out the bad news. He had been rejected as king. And so Samuel had developed this relationship with Saul and he was distraught. He was saddened that Saul had been rejected as king. He was distraught over the rejection of Saul. He was sad for the people and he was sad for his friend. But sitting and being sad was not going to help anything. Israel needed a new king. Israel needed a new leader. Him being sad wasn't going to fix the situation. And God didn't get upset with him, but he says to Samuel, how long are you going to sit and be sad about this? There's work to be done, Samuel. I, we have plans to do. And so God sends Samuel to the house of a man named Jesse in Bethlehem. And God told Samuel, I love that verse, he says, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Right, we saw last week, Saul was chosen by the people. Saul was chosen by the people. And what did we know about Saul? We knew that he was tall, he was good-looking, and he had money. And that's about as deep as Saul went. And that didn't end well for the Israelites. And so this time, God says, I'm going to be the one who picks. I am going to be in control here. He says, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. I have been cultivating him. I have been developing him. Basically, God said to Samuel, I got a guy. And this shows us that God is, our God is a God who is actively involved. He is actively engaged in this world. He is always doing work. He is always working on us, even in the midst of chaos of Saul living this life and rebelling against God, even in the midst of all of that, when it looked like the Israelites were going to not have a leader again, God says, I'm doing a plan. I have a plan in place. I'm doing a work here. And so he tells Samuel to go. And if anyone asks them what's going on, he say, I'm going to make a sacrifice. And he gets to Jesse and he says, Jesse, get your family together. We're going to go sacrifice together. And so they go off to do this sacrifice, and Jesse and his family doesn't know this, but they go to anoint a new king of Israel. Read with me in verse 6. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse, and we've seen this as we've been walking through this series about how important the oldest, the firstborn son was in that culture. He was the one who was going to get the bulk of the inheritance from Jesse. He was the one that, as Jesse got older, would start making decisions for the family. He was the most important, the most valued. And not only important, not only was he important in the family, but he's apparently attractive and tall because Samuel looks at this guy, and he says, that guy looks like a king. This was basically the qualifications for being a king back then. If you're tall and you're good looking, you can be king. That's basically all we knew about Saul. And so God tells Samuel he's making a mistake. Samuel, didn't you learn the first time? Didn't you see, can't you see what I see? Because you've got to look deeper, Samuel. You need to see what I see. Man looks on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. We care about whether or not our leaders are dynamic. Are they well-spoken? Are they charismatic? Are they good diplomats? We care about all of these external things when we look at leadership. God is more interested in the heart of a person. And so God rejects Jesse's oldest son. He says, it's not that guy. this If any of his sons should have been the future king, if God was going to pick any of them, he would pick the oldest. And he doesn't. He's got someone else in mind. And so the second son comes before Samuel, and God says it's not him. And the third son and the fourth son, God rejects each one of them. turns out to be like a bad beauty pageant. Seven guys walk in front of Samuel. Seven guys are presented to Samuel. God says no to each one. And the problem is, seven is all Jesse brought with him. Skip down to verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Samuel looks around after all seven sons have been rejected. and He says, Jesse, are there any other sons? Which is kind of a weird question, right? Because the whole point of them coming together was to do this sacrifice as a family. And so he says, do you have any other sons? And he says, well, yeah, there's, there's one more, David. David was the youngest. And so in the same way that the oldest son was the most valued, the most respected, would get all of the good stuff, the youngest son got whatever was left over. He was literally the forgotten child. He was the one who had to do the tasks that no one else wanted to do. And so he was out taking care of the sheep. He was often overlooked and not acknowledged. I mean, his dad forgot him. You know, I grew up, uh, I have one younger brother and I have three older cousins and we all kind of grew up as, as siblings. And my parents, you know, when they would be calling for someone, they'd be like, they would want Dan, but they'd be like, Tim, Dane, place Jamie, somebody come here, right? They at least knew all our names. They didn't forget one of us. Jesse forgot David. He left him to do the work. And yet, in spite of all of that, God chose David to be the next king. God chose David, this young, forgotten shepherd boy, to be the next leader of Israel. So the question we got to ask is, why? Why David? I think it has a lot to do with David's character. Because God told Samuel, he, God looks at the heart. So what about David's character? What about who he was made him the man to lead God's people? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning with the time we have left. There's three characteristics I want to look at. There's a lot of things, a lot of elements of who David was that we're going to look at over these next few weeks. But there are three characteristics this morning I want to look at that I think shine a light and may give us a little bit clearer picture of why David The first one was that David was humble. David was humble. After all of these events with Samuel happened, after Samuel um, anoints him with oil and says, you're going to be the future king, it said Samuel went to Ramah. Where did David go? Well, we see that um, later on Saul is in a bad state. Saul is in a bad place. The protection and the spirit of the Lord has left Saul. God has basically washed his hands of Saul. And so because of that, Saul has fallen into a deep depression, and God has allowed him to be tormented by Satan. Saul is having a bad case of the Mondays. And so one of his servants suggests something to him, gives him this idea that says, maybe we can find someone who can play music and calm your soul. Somebody who can come and play some music and just mellow you out a little bit, Saul, because you are in a bad way. Skip down to verse 18. Says, one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. This is David's humility on display. Right, Samuel anoints him to be the future king. Samuel goes to Ramah. David goes back to work taking care of the sheep. The future king of Israel goes back to doing the job nobody wanted to do. Right, now think about this. Like if somebody showed up to your house this afternoon, rolls up in a nice stretch limo, comes rings the doorbell. You open the door and they say, look, I don't know if you've been paying attention. The political scene right now is kind of in chaos, Instead of any of these guys, we're picking you to be the next president. Sign on the dotted line, you get to be the next president. Now, if that happened, Monday morning when your alarm clock goes off, you're not going to work, let's be honest. You're calling in, right? You're not going back to your nine to five. David knows he's going to be the future king of Israel, and yet he goes back. He was humble enough and understood who he was and understood the role he played in his family. He was humble enough to serve his family in this way. And not only that, not only does he go back and take care of the sheep, but now Saul calls for him, and he goes and takes a job in Saul's court, playing, the, playing instruments, playing music for Saul. He now takes a job knowing full well in God's eyes he was the rightful heir to the throne. David was humble. Humility is having a correct understanding of who we are in relation to who God is. And that David has. David wrote a lot of the Psalms, and I want to read one. Um, Psalm 8, we see David write about God, and, and in this, I want you guys to listen to it. The words aren't going to be on the screen, but Psalm 8, David is writing about God, and his humility here shines through because he has a correct understanding of who he is in relation to who God is. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David says, I look at what you have done in creation, God, and who am I that you would give me any kind of rule, any kind of role of authority in this creation? I look at what you have done, and you have placed me in a place where I get to take care of this creation you have made. God, who am I? I'm nothing compared to you. David was humble. He understood who he was in relation to who God is. The second thing, uh, the seventh characteristic I want to bring up is that David trusted God. So a little bit of time has passed, and Israel goes to war with the Philistines. Few of David's older brothers are soldiers for Israel, and David would often bring them supplies and resources. And so one day, you know, they draw their battle lines, they're on two different hills, and one day a Philistine comes out to fight. And this isn't just any Philistine. This isn't just any guy. This is a giant of a man. He towered over everyone. Some say he's somewhere between seven and nine feet tall. He was covered in armor that weighed over 100 pounds on its own. He had a giant sword and spear and javelin. He was intimidating. His name was Goliath. And so he walks out and he starts yelling to the Israelite army. And this is what he says. I want you to skip over to go to chapter 17. And we're going to pick it up in verse 8. It says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. He walks out and he calls out. He says, you know what? Instead of doing this giant battle, let's do this. One-on-one, winner take all. This continues for 40 days. Over and over again, Goliath comes out and declares against and shouts against the Israelite army, send me somebody. Let's just do this one-on-one and we'll end this. Over and over, no one comes to him. No one comes to fight. No one comes to stand up to this giant. One of these days, this is happening, David is visiting his brothers. He's bringing supplies, and he heard from the giant. He heard what he had to say and how he defied against God's army. And David looked around, and David was shocked that no one stood up to this man. We skip town to verse 26 david says who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should defy the armies of the living god why hasn't anybody shut this guy up yet what are you guys doing don't you know who you serve don't you know who's on your side why hasn't anyone gone out and taken care of this and everyone's afraid no one has any desire to go out and fight this giant and so david volunteers." David goes before Saul and says, I'll fight Goliath. If nobody else will do it, I'll do it. Saul's reaction is not great. Skip down to verse 33. Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. David, he is a warrior. He is trained. His entire life has been to fight. You are a shepherd, you are a kid. There's no way you're going out there. But David's response to what Saul has to say begs to differ. Verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David trusted God. He says, look, I have fought bears, I have fought lions, this guy will go down just like they did. But why is David so sure of his victory? Why, can, why is David so confident? Because it's not just his experience, it's not just the fact that he's fought lions and bears, which is pretty impressive on a resume. But in verse 36 and 37, he says, the Lord has done this. Your servant struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Why? He has defied the armies of the living God. I will deliver, God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David, his faith is not in his own abilities, is not in his experience. David's faith is in God. He sees Goliath as an enemy of God, and David, David has complete trust that God will move in this situation. And his faith, his confidence in God is so strong. He is so confident that God will move here that Saul agrees to let him go fight Goliath. Now think about that for a second. And this stuck out to me. I have read this story and I have heard this story over and over again. This never really stuck out to me. Saul lets David go fight. What are the the terms of this battle? It's winner take all the loser his people will have to be slaves and servants to the winner so saul is letting this forgotten shepherd boy who is not has no war experience go fight this mammoth goliath and the fate of israel is in his hands the fate of the nation of israel is in the hands of david and yet saul allows him to go do this because if he fails if he dies Israel becomes slaves to the Philistines. And yet Saul allows him to go. He is so, David is so confident. David has the spirit of the Lord in him and it is so evident. He is so steadfast in what he believes God will do. He convinces Saul to let him go. And do you see the contrast here? The contrast between the current king Saul, who refuses to go fight on his people's behalf, who refuses to even just name someone to go fight, who has been in hiding for these last 40 days, versus David, the future king, who volunteers to go stand before this giant. And so Saul offers his armor to David. He says, okay, fine, if you're going to go fight this guy, you at least need some armor. And David puts on his armor, but what do we know about Saul? He's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. So, of course, the armor doesn't fit. It's heavy and bulky. Even Saul's weapons are too big and too bulky for David. And so David goes into battle with the weapons he feels most comfortable his faith in God, a sling, and a staff. David trusted God. David was humble. David trusted God, and David was courageous. I mean, he fought bears and lions. I mean, that takes some courage. And it's one thing, you know, to say, I trust God. I trust that God will deliver me. I trust, I know God will protect me. But it's another thing entirely for David to actually go out, to actually go out to that battlefield and stare Goliath in the eyes, to actually take the steps to go out to the battlefield. In Acts 4, some of the believers of the, of the New Testament church, they are proclaiming God and they get arrested and, and beaten up pretty badly because they were talking about Jesus and they come back together and they the ones who had been beaten up talk and tell their friends and tell the other believers what had happened and they pray together and they pray for boldness they pray for courage to continue doing what God had called them to do they said this is going to be hard God we need you we need your courage we need you to give us boldness to continue doing what you have called us to do they prayed for courage something David had in excess And so he goes out to this battle with a sling and a staff. And this is not like Bart Simpson with like a rubber band and a stick. Okay, This is a sling where this is a weapon that warriors used, something David was proficient at using, a weapon that you could use for distance combat. David was smart. He realized, this giant's got a big reach on me. I can't get that close to him. And so he goes and he stands before Goliath. And this warrior, decked out in armor with sword and javelin. He he sees David coming and he is not impressed with what Israel has sent. But at the same time, David's not really impressed with Goliath either. And I could sum up what they say to each other, but there's there's no better drama written than the Bible, so I'm just going to let David do the talking. So skip down to verse 44. The Philistines said to David, And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David was so confident in what God was going to do. His courage was not built on his own experience or on what he had in his hand or what he had in his bag. His courage, knew, he knew God was going to move. He was humble enough to know who he was in light of who God is. And he trusted God. He trusted that God would be with him. And he had courage enough to actually head out to the battlefield and fight for his life. He had courage enough to actually hear what God had said and follow through with it. And so David killed Goliath. And just because, you know, we teach this story in Sunday school. And it's the little guy versus the big guy and the little guy wins. We leave off verse 51, but since I have the microphone, I'm going to read it. David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. That part doesn't get taught to you when you're a kid. You don't learn that until you're in like, high school or college. But David chops this guy's head off and then goes to Saul holding the guy's head and said, I won. David kills Goliath. Now some of you here this morning might hear about David, might think, hear about these characteristics of who he is, and, and you think David, and you put him up on this pedestal, and you think, you know what, I don't have any of those characteristics. Some of us this morning might say, you know what, humility is something I struggle with. My faith is not very strong. And I get overwhelmed, and I get really scared really easily. We put David, and we put these men of the Bible up on this pedestal, And we say, I'm no David. And that's okay. Because David wasn't David on his own. He didn't wake up one day and he was the most humble person in the world. God did this work in David. God cultivated. God shaped David. God was doing the work. God is doing the work in us today. He is shaping us. He is getting us ready for the life and moments that he has already planned out for us. He is making us more and more like Christ every day. The word we use in church for that is sanctification. God is sanctifying us, making us holy, making us more and more like Christ. He is continually shaping us and cultivating us. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You, as a Christian, have good works, have things laid out ahead of time that God is getting you ready for, moments and events that God is shaping you and preparing you for. God was getting David ready. Remember, he told Samuel in chapter 16, what did he tell Samuel? He said, I provided for myself a king among Jesse's sons. I have done the work. I have gotten him ready. David didn't wake up one day, and he was humble and faithful and courageous. But through the events and decisions of his life, he was prepared by God. You are being prepared by God. He is getting you ready. He is getting you ready for the good works he already has planned out for you. But this is not just a God doing all the work thing. This is not just God does all the work and we sit and receive and receive. We have to respond and obey to what God is doing in our lives. David had to choose to fight the bears and the lions. He could have just bailed. David had to choose to submit and be the shepherd for his family. He had to choose to submit and go work for the king. He had to choose to respond to what God was doing in his life. We have to be able to do the same thing. We have to choose to respond to what God is doing. When I was, um, after I finished college and I I knew I wanted to go to seminary and I Seminary is expensive. Uh, And so I knew God wanted me to go. God wanted me, you know, God was calling me to be a pastor. And I didn't know where the money was going to come from. And I prayed to God, and I prayed to God, and I said, God, I, I need you to provide. I need you to provide. God, I don't have this financially. And I realized as I was doing that, that I wasn't being a good steward of my own money. I wasn't giving a church I was spending it on whatever. I wasn't saving. I wasn't doing any of the things I needed to do to be responsible with my finances. And God made that very clear to me in a conversation I had with someone at church. And so when I was able to do that, when I started to respond, when I started to give to church, when I started to respond and, and actually save and be a better steward of my finances, that, like two weeks later, somebody at church handed me a check to help cover some of my tuition. See, God is going to move, but God wants us to take a step. We've got we to gotta respond. God gives us these opportunities to respond to him. And when we take them, he's going to show up. Today, you might not see it. Today, you might identify more with the fact that David was the forgotten shepherd kid out in the field. And that's okay. It's a process. God is working on us daily, day by day, decision by decision, Life event by life event, God wants to shape us. God wants to move in our lives, but we have to be present and we have to respond. It's okay if you don't identify with David this morning. In actuality, it's a really good thing that you don't identify with David. Because this story is not about us. Some of the most popular video games on the market right now are first-person shooter games. And what I mean by first-person shooter games is you play the game and your point of view is your own. You're not playing a character, you're, you see the gun and it's, you're not playing and have to like you don't have to imagine you are this character. You are the hero in the game. You are the one who's saving the day. You are the one storming the battlefield. We love to be the hero, right? We love to be the one to save the day. But in the case of this story, you see, the Bible is the word of God. It can challenge us. It can inform us. It can equip us. It can exhort us. It can help us lead the kind of life that God has called us to. But the Bible is not about us. We are not the main focus of this story. The Bible is filled with all kinds of different characters. But throughout it, there is one protagonist. There is one good guy. His name is Jesus. We are not David in this story. This is not a story, a metaphor for how we can slay the giants in our life. If you want to identify with someone in this story, if you want to connect with someone in this story, in actuality, we're the Israelite army. We're scared and helpless and afraid and have no idea what to do and in our desperate need of a hero. This story points us to something else. This story points us to a greater shepherd to a greater warrior to a greater hero. Jesus is the hero of this story. It points us to Jesus who conquers the giant of sin and death and hell. See David is a foreshadow. He is a small glimpse of Jesus. He is a foreshadowing of a better shepherd. David was humble. Jesus was so humble. He humbled himself enough to allow, to leave heaven, to leave his rightful place at the right hand of God, to come and live an earthly life, to come and be an actual human. He came and lived among his creation and lived an actual real life. He humbled himself enough to allow himself to come here and deal with the mess that is this world. David trusted God. Jesus trusted in God's plan even when it looked hard even when it was messy. He trusted God enough to allow himself to be betrayed by one of his closest friends and abandoned by the rest. He trusted God enough. He trusted in the plan enough to allow himself to be beaten and executed for us. He trusted God enough to allow himself to experience the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. He paid the penalty that we were supposed to pay on our behalf. And David was courageous. You want to talk about stepping onto a battlefield jesus went to battle with the giants of sin and death and hell and he defeated them all he showed he was more powerful he proved he was he had more authority when he rose from the dead and he showed that he could not be stopped he could not be held by the grave david was a great man of god was he perfect no Not at all. If you keep coming to CF for the next few weeks, you're going to hear about a real tawdry sex scandal. It's going to be real interesting. David wasn't perfect. Jesus was. David wasn't perfect, but God was working on him. He was shaping him. He was cultivating him, just as he is you and me. David's life prepared him for the big moments. How have you seen God changing you, shaping you, What do you see that still needs to be worked on? What are the opportunities that God is presenting you right now that you can step into? What are the times, where are the areas in your life that you need to respond? You know God's calling you. You know he wants to train you. You know he wants to shape you in some way, but you need to take a step. Where are those areas in your life that you need to respond? We are not the hero of this story. David points us to the true hero. David points us to Jesus, who is the true and perfect King appointed by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we are in awe of you, the work that you're doing, the fact that you are doing a work here and you invite us into it, the fact that you have a plan for us. That you see, that you made all things, you keep all things together and yet you still have a plan for us. God, there are days where we feel like we're not growing, like we're not maturing. I feel like I'm not growing, I'm not maturing, but I know you are moving. God, help me to help us to respond to the ways you're moving in our life. Help us to respond and step into those moments to be faithful and obey. God, as you shape us, as you cultivate us, as, as you get us more and more, make us more and more like your son, Lord, help us to see the work that is being done. Help us to step into those moments. God, we thank you for stories like David, for stories about a man who was faithful and how it points us to the ultimate, the ultimate Savior, the ultimate Shepherd, the ultimate one who saves us, Jesus. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the new life that it brings and for the empty grave and the power and authority it shows that you have over all things. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name, amen.